Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come into your house to praise you. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do in our lives, that you make something new in us. I pray this morning our hearts, our minds would be focused on you, that you would receive all the glory, and that each day we would allow ourselves to be molded and shaped to be more like you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen. So the 4th of July is, is fun. It's where we as a country celebrate our freedom and independence by barbecuing, drinking, and blowing stuff up. One of my favorite things in the world is to light my money on fire and watch it explode, a big colorful ball of light for like two seconds. I do, actually, I really like fireworks. I especially like it when someone else has paid for them and I can just watch them. But... This year was a little different. Uh, my son is two. He goes to bed at eight. Fireworks tend to start around nine. And so my hope, my naive, wishful hope, was if I got him to bed, he would fall asleep, and he'd be deep enough into sleep that he would just make it through the night. That did not happen. Weirdly, a 90-minute festival of big exploding lights and what sounds like machine gun fire going off next to his window disturbed his sleep. So he starts crying. And I go into his room, and he's standing at the edge of his crib with his arms held out in the air going, Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, I want you to hold me. So he got scared. And his first instinct was to call out to me. Reach for me and hold on to me. Because that's what children do with their parents. When they're afraid, when they're uncomfortable, often when they're in new environments or around new people, they tend to hover really close to mom and dad or even hold on to mom and dad. Is it any wonder that one of God's favorite self-identifiers is as father? What he's trying to tell us when he says, I will be your father. This is how I want you to treat me. This is what I want you to do. I want you to cry out to me. I want you to reach for me. I want you to hold on to me. So this week we're starting a brand new series called Rooted. So if you've got a, a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be in John chapter 15. And we're going to unpack verses 1 through 8. The all living things grow. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he didn't just die to save us from death. He died to give us life. In Romans 6, 4, in talking about our baptism, Paul says that when we were baptized, we were buried with Jesus. We died with Jesus. And then we were raised up in him as a new creation that we might walk in the newness of life. So as 
living things, Jesus' natural expectation is that we are going to grow. See, when you became a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, you become this cute, sweet little spiritual baby. And God loves you. You are precious to him because you are his child. And he just, he adores you and your cute little baby chubby cheeks. You are his child. You are precious to him. And you are the joy of his heart. But here's the thing, church. Jesus did not save us so that we could crawl around in our spiritual diapers for the next 40 years, drinking our spiritual milk, holding on to our spiritual teddy bear until he came back to get us. Listen, God loves all of his children. He loves all of us with this incredible, unfathomable love. But he also wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. He wants to see us walking and talking and growing in him. And so that's the focus of this series that we're in. See, one of the most neglected aspects of the Christian life in the church today is what we do after we come to Jesus. We spend a lot of time focusing on converting people and giving your life to Jesus and all that, but then once you're in, it's just sort of like, okay, cool. And there's not a lot of emphasis on growth and maturity. And so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to take a series and we wanted to focus on what it looks like and how it works to grow up in Jesus. See, throughout the Gospels, Jesus taught very often in parables, and he used images and illustrations, and he likes to use very practical, very relevant, very relatable illustrations to help us understand things. And so one of the images that Jesus uses a lot in the Gospels is that of farming or agriculture. Jesus uses these images to help us understand complex spiritual truths, and he focuses on crops and plants a lot because Jesus lived in an agricultural society. What that means is that even if the people that Jesus was talking to weren't farmers, they weren't specifically working in that field, they would understand it because their whole economy was built on agriculture. So everyone that Jesus spoke to would understand how these crops worked. So, John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. All right, so Jesus starts off this parable. And this parable has four key elements. The vine, the vine dresser or gardener slash farmer, the branches, and the fruit. Jesus is the vine. And everything is built around the vine. Everything grows off of the vine. Without the vine, the branch doesn't grow. Without the vine, the branch doesn't produce fruit. Without the vine, the branch is nothing. The vine gives life to the branch. The vine enables the branch to grow, and the vine provides nutrients to the branch so that that branch can produce fruit. Everything that the branch does is completely dependent on the vine. Then there's the vine dresser or the gardener, which represents God the Father. And the focus of the gardener is to ensure the fruitfulness of the crop. And that is going to be the main focus of what Jesus is teaching here. In eight verses, the fruit is emphasized six times. Jesus is the vine. God the Father is the gardener. We are the branches. And the fruit is what is produced in our lives. <clears throat> Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, 
he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The entire purpose of the crop is to produce fruit. What that means, church, is that God couldn't care less what you call yourself. Declaring that you're a Christian, making Christian your, your religious status on Facebook, what you call you, it means absolutely nothing to him. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not perform many miracles and cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, Away from me, I don't know you. Jesus doesn't care how you self-identify. Jesus doesn't care what you call yourself. That is not how he determines who belongs to him. So you can say whatever you want. Or you can say, look, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I follow him. I believe in him. I've been a Christian for 25 years. Great, good. You know what God says in response to that? Cool story. Show me your fruit. We can declare to the entire world that we are a branch connected to the vine that is Jesus. But if we don't have fruit, we are fooling ourselves. Fruit is the identifying mark of a true believer. And where there is not fruit, there is not true faith. Jesus says it doesn't matter. The point of this illustration is it doesn't matter what you call yourself. What determines whether or not you actually belong to Jesus is whether or not fruit is produced in your life. Which leads to the question, what's this fruit? And how do we produce it? And the first place we tend to turn, hard work, performance, rule-keeping, religious activity, moral tinkering. Our first instinct when we are told we need to produce fruit to belong to Jesus is to figure out what we need to do and how we need to work in order to produce this fruit. And so we turn to ourselves and we trust in ourselves and we look to ourselves in order to accomplish this goal of producing fruit. But the fruit that Jesus is looking for is not the fruit of our production. It's the fruit of spiritual reproduction. Jesus wants to see his nature and his character being reproduced in us. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And where the Holy Spirit lives, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. So Jesus says, if you belong to me, you're going to have my spirit. If my spirit's there, there's going to be my fruit as well. So the fruit that Jesus is looking for is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit that Jesus is looking for when he describes this is the fruit not of our spiritual achievements and all the great things we've done, casting out demons and performing miracles. The fruit he's looking for is the fruit of his spirit being manifested in our lives. These qualities will be present in the life of every true believer. Present, not perfect. We will never be perfect in this life. We are perpetually works in progress. But when you come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit moves in your life, this fruit becomes apparent. It becomes present. 
And the longer you spend with Jesus, the more time you have been in a relationship with him as his child, the more fruit should be on that branch and the more mature and developed that fruit should be. Verse 3. I'm going to read verse 2 again too. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So if the branch doesn't produce fruit, it doesn't belong to the vine and it gets cut away. If the branch does produce fruit, then the gardener comes along and he prunes it that it might be even more fruitful. That pruning process is quite unpleasant. You see, this branch that would grow off of the vine, here's your branch, and like all of our lives, branches produce these little offshoots, things that grow off of the branch that aren't really directly connected to the vine, things that don't produce fruit, things that aren't beneficial to the crop. And so the gardener comes along and he clips and he trims, and he starts removing things from our lives that aren't beneficial for our relationship with Jesus, that aren't bearing fruit for Jesus, that aren't focused on Jesus. The pruning process, it's trimming, it's clipping, it's cutting away. And to the untrained eye, this can seem wasteful or even cruel. Why is he cutting away perfectly good parts of the branch? There's nothing wrong with that. It's not hurting anyone. Because many of these offshoots that grow in our lives, they're not evil things. They're innocent things. They just have no connection to Jesus. And that's the problem with our thinking. See, we go, if it's not bad, that means it's okay. And God says, if it's not fruitful, you shouldn't want it. The gardener cuts away the offshoots of our lives because his purpose is to make us more fruitful. And that pruning process is unpleasant. It's pain. It's loss. It's trial and struggle and hardship. In Psalm 119, 71, David says, it was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. David, who had a whole lifetime of struggles, even after God said, hey, you're going to become the next king, he still struggled. He still had to fight and hide for his life for 25 years waiting for God to come through on that promise. But he says, it was good for me that I had to suffer those things. Good for me that I had to endure those things because that taught me to lean into you. That taught me to hold on to you. That taught me to learn your ways, not my ways. The pruning process, church, is not fun, but here's what we need to understand. God will never be closer to you than when he is pruning you. And his pruning of you is never for your harm. It is always for your good that you might bear more and greater fruit. Verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what the branch has to do 
in order to produce fruit. So work hard, take a bunch of classes, figure out a bunch of things. Is it the branch's performance and focus and dutiful dedication that causes it to bear fruit? What the branch has to do in order to produce fruit is to remain connected to the vine. When we remain connected to Jesus, when we abide in Jesus, we produce fruit for Jesus. Because here's the thing, church, it doesn't matter how churchy you are. It doesn't matter how fluently you speak Christianese. It doesn't matter how many rules you follow or how crazy you drive the people in your life because you try to make them follow the same stupid rules. You can't produce the fruit of Jesus without Jesus. And yet our natural tendency is to try to do it ourselves. It's to look at ourselves, to trust in ourselves, to believe in ourselves. Our natural tendency is to try to do things for God by our own strength, by our own power, by our own ability. And when we do, we completely miss the point. Mark chapter 5. Jesus had been teaching all day. He was fatigued. And so he and the disciples get in a boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus falls asleep. And a great storm comes. Wind howling, waves crashing, boats taken on water. And the disciples know. Like they lived on this lake. They understand how these storms work. They know they are in real danger. And so they try to deal with the storm. They try to bail water. They start doing all this different stuff. And then they realize, look, there's nothing we can do. We're hopeless. We need to get Jesus. So they wake Jesus up. Jesus looks at the wind and the waves. And he says, be quiet. And the wind and waves say, yes, boss. Sorry, boss. And then it says, Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. My whole life, every time I heard this preached, the explanation for their lack of faith was that the disciples woke Jesus up, but they didn't expect that he could calm the storm. That was their lack of faith. That Jesus didn't do something that historically had never been done and there was no precedent to expect that he could do. I don't think that's it. I think the reason that Jesus rebukes their lack of faith is not because they woke him up. It's not because they didn't think he could calm the storm. It's because they turned to him last, after they'd tried everything else, after they'd tried to do it themselves, after they'd been bailing water in their buckets. They tried to do it on their own, and they only turned to him when they realized that wasn't going to work. Isn't that what we do every day of our lives? We try to live our life. We try to do things our way. And then a problem comes up and we try to solve it on our own. We try to deal with it on our own. We try to fix it on our own because we want to show God that we're independent and capable. And Too often, Jesus is not our go-to. He's not our first call. He's our last resort. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So stop trying to do things apart from him. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here's the warning. If you don't remain in Jesus, the branch of your life will wither and die. You know what you do with a dead branch? You throw it into the fire. Because that's all it's good for. It's firewood. 
Now, before we get into the rest of this, Jesus says, ask whatever you want in my name and it will be granted unto you. <laughs> this is not a blank check to ask Jesus for stupid stuff. I spent most of my childhood doing that. It doesn't work. And then I get frustrated. Because here's the deal. The context of this is describing a branch that is remaining in the vine and that has been pruned of all the things that isn't connected to or rooted in the vine. And so the natural assumption of Jesus' instruction here, where he says, you can ask whatever you want, God's going to give it to you, is that what you're asking for are things that will help you be more fruitful for Jesus. It's not that you're asking for a BMW with spinning wheels. Or a winning lottery ticket that you don't have to buy. You just find it on the ground and there it is. Hundreds of millions of dollars. Cool, you're set for life. Now you don't have to turn to God at all. It's not a blank check. What he's saying is, if you need something from me, if there's nutrients, if there's stuff that I can give you to make you more fruitful in your pursuit of me, to grow in me, I will give you whatever you need to continue growing in me. Not I'll give you whatever you need or want in life for no reason. So Jesus says, if you belong to me, you bear fruit. And if you want to bear fruit, you need to abide in me. And so then he gives us two key principles, two key foundational elements. Here's how. Okay, you want to know what to do? You abide in me. Here's how you abide in me. The first is we abide in his word. That means is that we're not just casually reading it sometimes. It means that the purpose of our, our relationship with Jesus is not reading a daily devotional where 90% of the words are written by some other human being, not by Jesus. It means we need to be students of the Word. It means we need to study the Word. We need to soak in it. We need to saturate ourselves with it. We need to memorize it. Because here's the first response that you get. Whenever somebody says the words memorize in Scripture... Well, just tell me if you, because this is what I used to do my whole life. I just, you know what? I don't have a very good memory. Anybody? Just me? Cool. <laughs> so I've been spouting that my whole life. Oh, you should memorize this. I don't have a very good memory. I can't memorize scripture. It doesn't work for me. And I made the mistake of saying that to one of my professors in college. And it's like he was waiting for me to say it. He just looks at me, and he gets this stupid, confident smirk that he got when he was right, which was frustrating amount of time. I was, hey, what's your birthday? What's your phone number? What's your email address? What's your home address? What's your social security number? Parents' birthday? Spouse's birthday? I wasn't married at the time, but you know, you can add these in. Children's birthday? Anniversary? There's nothing wrong with your memory. You're just not using it. Thanks. That was gentle. To which you might have guessed my next response. Well, those things are practical things. I use those all the time, so of course I know those. So the Bible is not a practical thing that you should use all the time and is important to your life? I stopped talking with him for a while after that. Part of how we abide in Jesus is we abide in his word. Verse 8. By this... My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the first thing that we abide in when we're with Jesus is we abide in his word, and then we abide in his love. 
You know what the best part of that is? On two occasions in the gospel, Jesus says, you want to love me? Here's how you do so. Do you know what he says? If you love me, you will obey my commands. Pop quiz, church. What's the first thing that you need to have in order to be able to obey the commands of Jesus? You have to know them. Yes, gold star. You can't obey commands if you don't know what those commands are. You can't love Jesus if you don't obey Jesus. And you can't obey Jesus if you don't know what he says to do. This is why we must be students of the word. This is why we emphasize the teaching of the word and the focus on the word so that we can obey and follow the commands of Jesus so that we can demonstrate our love for Jesus through obedience to him. Because church, if you are ignorant of the word of God, you will be deceived by anything that sounds good. We abide in the love of Jesus by knowing his word, by focusing on his word, by focusing on his love, that we might live like him, that we might love like him, and that through our focus on him, we might start to look like him. We produce fruit when we abide in Jesus. What does that look like? What does that really mean to abide in Jesus? It means when you're weak, when you're hurting, when you're afraid, when you feel lost and alone, when you don't know what to do. It means when God calls you out of your comfort zone or calls you to do something that you cannot do, you stay close to Jesus. It means in times of struggle and hardship and trial, you stay close to Jesus. It means you hold on to him and he holds on to you. And that is what it means to abide in him. And that is God's design for rooting us in himself, for growing us in himself. You see, spiritual growth, church, it doesn't happen on its own. It doesn't happen just because you've been in the church for many years. It doesn't typically happen through programs. God designed spiritual growth to be a cyclical process. He pushes us out of our comfort zone. And so because now we are his children and we are uncomfortable, we lean into him. And when we lean into him, we grow in him. And so he pushes us out of our comfort zone and we lean into him and we grow in him. And he pushes us out of our comfort zone and we lean into him and we grow in him. And every time we go around that loop, we deepen in him. We become more rooted in him, our attachment to him becomes stronger and the nutrients that he pours into our lives become greater because we've opened up new lanes for that growth. Every time we go around that loop, it matures us, it grows us, that we might produce more and more fruit. On the 4th of July, the fireworks scared my son and I hate that he was scared. But hearing him cry out for me, seeing him reaching against the constraints of his crib for me, feeling his arms squeeze down around me as he held tight to me, it brought so much joy to my heart. That's abiding. That's what God wants us to do with him. When you hold on to Jesus, 
you bring joy to Jesus. You can bring joy to the creator of the universe when you hold on to him. So church, when God prunes you, hold on to Jesus. In the storms of life, hold on to Jesus. In the struggles, in the pain, in the loss, hold on to Jesus. When you don't know what to do, hold on to Jesus. When God calls you out of your comfort zone, you hold on to him. When he tells you to do something that you can't do, hold on to him. That's what it means to abide. In all things, in all ways, we cling to Jesus. Not to our performance, not to what we can do for Jesus. We just simply hold on to him. Because the growth that comes from the branch is the work of the vine moving through it. God is calling each and every one of you right now to do something for him that you're not comfortable with. That seems like a bold statement, so let me defend it. God in the history of the world has never called anyone to be a spectator. If what he was calling you to do, you were already doing, it wouldn't be out of your comfort zone. So, God is calling you to do something that you're not comfortable with. Calling you to do something that you cannot do without him. And it is time church that we do it we take that step of faith that we take that step into obedience and we do what God has called us to do and when you take that step when you feel uncomfortable when you feel afraid that's okay that's the design and in that discomfort and in that fear lean into Jesus hold on to Jesus and he will grow and mature you this week, we have a group of people getting ready to do just that. So if you're on our Costa Rica team, if you're going this week with us down to Costa Rica, if you would join me up here on the stage. We have the largest team that we've ever taken to Costa Rica. We have 16 people going down to our church in Costa Rica. 16 people who are going to be stepping out of their comfort zones, stepping out of things that they've known, things that they've done before to serve the call of Jesus in their life to do what God has laid on their hearts to do. And this is what that step looks like. You guys can come down here if you want. So this group of people leaving here to courageously answer the call of Jesus outside of their comfort zone, to serve him, to glorify him, to grow in him. This trip is going to break every single one of them in the best possible way. And the person that comes back from this trip is not going to be the person that left. It's going to be someone who's slightly more mature, slightly more developed in their relationship with Jesus. This is one of the things that rooting ourselves in Him looks like. It's not the only thing. But what we want to do is we want to invite this team in. Ron's going to pray over them. We're going to invite you to pray over them as well during this time to pray for them this week as they serve Jesus, as they follow Jesus together. And to see the example that they're setting. That you might be encouraged to take your step, whatever that may look like. Ron. Pray with me. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. First of all, for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your call on these people's lives, these folks that are heading to Costa Rica to do your work and your will. God, we thank you for working in their hearts and calling them to do your work, Father. We praise you for um, the anointing that you have placed and are placing on them as they go as a team, God, to, to reach and grow people um, around the world in Costa Rica. God, and uh, we pray for the church down there. We pray for the pastor. We know that they are in the same mindset and same mode. They are praying as we are for the team that's coming and for the work that they're going to do. God, we just ask your Holy Spirit to move and work through them. We know that you're going to break down walls. We know that you are going to make a way for your word and your work to be done. And we give you praise and glory for that, God. God, we love you. We pray your blessing on these that are going. Go before them. Go with them. And we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.